This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. One-timer coming, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perrix! Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it! He scores! And everything from the state of hockey. St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Hey everyone, welcome into episode number 58 of the Healthy Scratch interview segment. I know, I know, we said we weren't going to be doing a Healthy Scratch interview segment this week, but it just so happened that Brett Larson joined us earlier this Tuesday morning. It was a fantastic interview, had a lot of good tidbits that uh, were really relevant at this time, and we thought, why the heck would we keep you waiting? So we're going to kick this one out for episode number 58 with Brett Larson, and thank you for his time. And he, again, had a lot of great things, especially stuff about uh, the upcoming exhibition schedule that I think fans are going to be uh, really excited about. So maybe we're thinking about now for episode number 59 next week, we might be having a fan special for the first time on the Huskies Warming House podcast. We'll keep you updated, but we won't keep you waiting for episode number 58 of the Healthy Scratch interview segment with head coach Brett Larson. Back inside the Den Husky Warmingos podcast, fans joining us is head coach Brett Larson. Uh, coach, what an incredible season! And again, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. This uh, certainly this is going to be a fun one to talk about. It was uh, it was quite a ride. I think the only thing that, uh, and we talked about this before recording, Brett, is the only downside about the season was you know despite all the success, was you know not a lot of fans could really enjoy watching this team in person. Yeah, the Herb would have been rocking with this team, it's for sure. You know, there were some of the games that were so much fun in our building and, and we didn't have anybody in there, you know. And I can only imagine the momentum swings and uh, different things that, that could have happened in those games, especially at home. Uh, it, it would have been great for our fans to be able to see this team up close. They were a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, one of the moments in which there weren't a whole lot of fans in the building that I kind of wanted to talk about, and I guess we're just going to jump right into it, uh, Albany, kind of a couple of weird uh, hockey games and kind of a weird building. Uh, how, how were you able to deal with some of the momentum shifts that maybe the Husky teams in year past, years past maybe wouldn't have been able to handle? Well, I, I, you know, it's funny once it was a weird building, it was odd. There's only a few hundred people in there and it's, I think it's, there's probably 18,000 seats or something. It was pretty big. Um, but once the puck drops, it's funny, no matter what happened this year, once the puck drops, it feels like a real hockey game. Again, you kind of lose that, that, the, you know, thought about no fans or whatever. The weirdest time is during the Anthem and uh, kind of the school, when the guys are skating around getting ready for that first puck drop, that's when you really notice the lack of energy in the building. But um, what I liked about the, those two games, most resilient games I've seen us play, got down in both of them early. Um, we weren't playing poorly early, but you know, the, the BU game was, was pretty tight. The BC game, they were out playing us for the first you know period. Um, but once we did, once we were able to get that first goal, you could just see us build off it. And, you know, both games, the second two periods, I thought were, you know, uh, 
two of the best games we had played all year in a, in a tough, uh, in a tough, I want to say in a, in a game with a really tough opponent, you're playing BU and BC and some of the biggest games of the year. And our guys hung in there, didn't get rattled, fought through the adversity early. And I thought it just kept getting better as the game went on. So I was really proud of them and obviously a huge accomplishment to, to win the Northeast Regional. And then, you know, obviously going to Pittsburgh, the Frozen Four, um, you know, one heck of a semifinal match there, Brett, up and down. I think probably as from a coaching standpoint, uh, a 3-1 advantage, I think you probably would have liked to see the outcome a little bit different. But again, you guys found a way through and it was what an incredible play by Nolan Walker there in the final minute. Yeah, that was great. Obviously, Shames Donahue, too. Just that, that quick shot that uh, didn't hold it too long, um, put it in the right spot and a beautiful tip by Nolan. It's interesting as we talk about the two games in the Frozen Four, um, you know, that game, I would say yeah, Mankato carried the play a lot. They had the territorial advantage. They had the puck in our end more. Um, luckily for us, we call it an opportunistic game. We, we, we took advantage of our opportunities when they came and they weren't many. Um, if you had to judge this overall game, I would say uh, Mankato maybe had the better night, but we found a way to get it done. And and, uh, um, and then we felt going to the next night, it, it was kind of a flip-flop of those things. So uh, it, it's interesting how the game works sometimes. Um, finding a way to win is the most important thing, though, at that time of year. And being able to, you know, ride those momentum waves and, and not get down and keep playing is critical. And I, again, that night, it was could have been more proud of the team for doing that. Speaking of those momentum shifts, Brett, unfortunately, we have to talk about that championship game. And it was kind of a weird game as we kind of talk about the hockey gods, if you will. I felt like St. Cloud was maybe the better team in period number one, but you go into the locker room down two to nothing and just, you know, it's one of those holes that you run into a good hockey team, tough to climb out of. Uh, and I wanted to ask and correct me if I'm wrong. I believe in national championship games, your coaching record is two and two, if I'm not mistaken, uh, kind of just telling you how hard it is to get there and, you know, win that penultimate prize. Uh, can you kind of talk about that game and moreover, how difficult it is to get there and talk about the score? Because I think people read into the score a lot more thinking that it was a more lopsided game than it really wasn't. Yeah, their coach made the same comments after, if you listen to anything uh, Greg said. And it was it was interesting because we carried the so, – so going into the game, the, the biggest things with the UMass was their four check. Teams were having a really hard time getting out of their end, uh, and they weren't letting teams spend much time in the other end, and, and they were really wearing – wearing you down. Um, if you saw the game against Duluth, it was a, the last two periods, you know, their forecheck was so heavy. Duluth had to spend so much time defending. They couldn't really go on offense. Um, and so we had a game plan for that first period. Boy, we broke the puck out clean. We spent a ton of, ton of time in their end. VD hit the post, uh, feel like we're, we're rolling, feeling like we're off to a really good start and playing well. Uh, so what that tells me is the guys showed up in a big moment. It, was, it wasn't that they went out and panicked or that, that we went out and choked per se. We came out and had a great first period and we're, we're playing really good hockey. Unfortunately, the guy loses an edge, takes another guy down and they get a two on. Oh, unfortunately uh, a play that technically is offsides is missed, but then we, we play the puck and you know what, we don't get it out. And uh, the, the rule on that one is you can't challenge it because of how it worked. And, and that one ends up in our net. Um, so it, 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 you're right. It was, uh, I hate this thing, but in this night, it just felt like it, it just felt like it wasn't our night. And uh, unfortunately that can happen in a one game shot. Uh, but I am proud of the guys because it certainly wasn't for lack of not showing up or, or the moment being too big for them or, or, or then panicking. Um, I thought they came out and played a really good uh, first half of the game. Now, when the score got away from us in the, in the third period, it was tough. Uh, UMass just kind of sat back and protected and there, there wasn't a ton we could do. And that was frustrating. 
but uh, but our guys came to play that night. And obviously the result was disappointing, but uh, I, I certainly couldn't be more proud of that team. Yeah, we thought it was a great start too. Uh, the one other thing I wanted to touch on because uh, I don't know if you know this, but the camera's on you quite a bit during a hockey game. So it's kind of interesting to watch your body language. And like you talked about, and we talked about not that it was a bad thing. It's just, it was one of those nights where it seemed like you couldn't buy a bounce. And I think it was the too many men call that led to the fourth goal where the official came over to you and kind of mentioned the call and you were just kind of like, you know what? just one of those nights, but I want to go back to a moment actually in the regional tournament. And that is uh, Spencer Knight continually pushing the net off its moorings because uh, the Twitter faithful were going absolutely bananas in St. Cloud state land during yep. that moment. Um, and it seemed like the coaching staff had a little bit of a role in calming that group down and saying, we'll worry about the officiating. And there were a couple of moments in Albany that were like that uh, kind of, what was the mood on the bench and what was the game plan, I guess, in those moments as a coach, knowing that maybe you kind of have to take control little bit and just get the guys focused on the next shift well we, we talk about the bench we call it the dog kennel theory a little bit sometimes one dog starts barking now another starts barking now they all start barking <laughs> now their dogs are all going crazy and you forget about playing your game uh so we do talk about that a lot uh those were some moments where we did feel we had to calm the team down i was trying to communicate with the refs as much as i could i was trying to buy a little bit of Hey, maybe they felt they needed to give us a power play here or there because of that. Um, maybe they, you know, you're trying to get them on your side a little bit. Um, so I was trying to play that game with the refs just a little bit of that first stand I understood, but Hey, this can't keep happening. And then we were talking about, Hey, is it a coincidence that keeps happening where he is and, and we've changed ends and somehow David's not, you know, the net's not coming off and, and whatever. And I was just trying to, to be honest, I was trying to buy a call at some point that uh, hopefully they would feel had to go our way. So uh, yeah, we, we had to calm the dog kennel down just a little bit and, uh, and we had to, and try to find a way hopefully to use that to, 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 uh, to get a call. On the other hand, I actually thought, and, and the fans may not like when I say this, but I'm not so sure he was trying to do it all the time because I actually thought Spencer Knight looked a little rattled, like it was starting to rattle him a little bit um, and get him off his game because he started worrying about it. So in the end, I think it, <laughs> it helped us. <laughs> Uh, Brett, I want to, you know, piggyback off of the communication part uh, in the Frozen Four. You know, as a coach, you know, you talk about, uh, you know, the last few minutes of the championship game, as you mentioned, 5-0. on uh, Last TV timeout, as the guys are sitting around the bench, uh, it's a hell of a season. You know, you know that the score probably is going to hold. What, what was your message to the guys on the bench as time was winding down there in the third? Well, it sounds funny, but you just want to go out the right way. You want to go out with class. You knew the game was over with the last five minutes or so, basically, once you got down to a point where – almost impossible to score the goals. What you want is to make sure that we represent St. Cloud State the right way. It, it, we talked a lot about let's not let any frustration boil over into a stupid penalty and us uh, doing anything that would uh, would not represent this university and this program in the right way. And I trusted that our guys would do that. But you, you, there's such a level of frustration because there's so much hard work to get to that game. It could easily happen. And, and the last thing you want is you know, somebody to do something just out of character that would would uh, not represent the program the right way. So I was just asking them to play, play the right way right to the finish. Uh, play hockey, hockey right until the last buzzer. Um, and let's uh, let's leave here with our heads held high, uh, feeling that we accomplished a ton this year. 
We talk a lot about the culture of St. Cloud State, and by saying that we talk about it, it's actually the players that really comment on it and the program and, and the way that it's built. Uh, and it maybe transitions well into a topic we discussed, and that's players that are coming back. And you've got a pretty good number of your core group of players coming back. Can you kind of touch on some of the players, not only who are departing and what they're up to next, but uh, the players that are coming back and uh, happy to be in a St. Cloud State sweater? Yeah, that's, uh, it's really exciting right now to have a lot of these guys back. I guess it's easier to go through the guys that aren't coming back first. Uh, Tyler Anderson, probably one of the most character kids I've, I've ever been around. Uh, uh, an unbelievable teammate. Guys love him. Um, did everything he could for this program, uh, whether he played a lot, whether he played a little. Uh, his heart was always in it. And uh, he is uh, hopefully getting into med school here. And we're going to find out any day here sometime this month. Uh, but that's his goal. Love to be a doctor. And, and I'm hoping he gets in. Uh, but Tyler's moving on. Um, uh, Will Hammer uh, is just that guy that's, he's an old soul in a way. He's a great kid. He's a leader, but I think he's a 42 year old guy trapped in a 25 year old body, but he's, uh, he's very mature and he's got a plan and, and he's going to go into the working world. And I think he's got an internship lined up here and uh, he's going to move on that way. And then Jared Cockrell, this was, would have been his sixth year of college hockey. He told me in my meeting coach, he goes, coach, this is my second senior meeting already. I don't need a third. Um, he, he decided to move on and, and play in the East coast league. He's in wheeling right now and, and, and playing down there a little bit. So, uh, it's going to be tough. Those are all character guys that we're, that we're losing, but on the flip side, you know, to get a Brodzinski back, I gosh, I don't want to leave anybody out here. I don't have my notes in front of me or my lineup in front of me, but you know, you get, uh, um, um, you get Brodzinski back, you get Donahue back, all of a sudden you're getting Fitzgerald back. Um, you're getting Jay Cox back. Uh, gosh, darn it. I think I might be missing one in there right now off the top of my head, but, um, so I, I, I know the question mark is Brett, maybe I think the one that we're waiting on that we just haven't heard from, I think is David Rennick. Is that correct? There's some things just going on with pro hockey there that David is sorting out. Uh, but I can tell you, I, I feel there's a chance we're getting it back. It's not, uh, uh, if, if, if I told you that, uh, uh, I knew for sure he's coming back. You know, I feel good about the chances of him coming back. Now it's pro hockey and anything can change. So you just never know on that one. But right now, I think David wants to come back. Um, and and obviously, we'd love to have him back. And we're just kind of waiting on some things with pro hockey to finalize that. Uh, Brett, let's also kind of transition a little bit. Uh, I guess what I, what I should ask is, you know, we talk about how COVID and this extra year of eligibility is different. Now, I know with college hockey programs, you know, players, you expect them to come in, they play upwards of four years and they leave. And then you have, you know, a new stock of players coming in. Is it different when you have these seniors who maybe had a chance? I know Easton, even as of last year, had a chance to go pro. Um, you know, Fitzgerald, who maybe was debating whether to stay or go. Is it different when you have this amount of seniors coming in? And how does it affect some of the groups that maybe are coming in, such as your, your Mason Salmquist and also your Jack Burtz? How do you balance, you know, the, the guys that are staying versus new ones coming in? Well, we're really not going to have a bigger lineup uh, for the most part, which is interesting. We, we rolled the dice just a little bit during the year. We only had three recruits signed, uh, uh, Josh Ludke, uh, Jack Pert, Mason Salmquist, uh, couldn't be more excited about all three of them, to be honest. All of them are captains, wear letters where they are. Uh, all of them are great players in the USHL, which translates usually into a really good college career. Um, but we kind of just stuck with that. We had a couple other guys that 
we feel need another year junior to keep developing. So it almost worked out really good that way where we didn't have to rush any recruits in. Uh, we could let them keep developing in junior hockey and we're getting guys that we love back. So we were in a very fortunate spot where uh, we didn't have to, um, we didn't have to tell a lot of guys, Hey, we, we planned on bringing you in, but now we're sending you back. We, we were very open with the guys that are most likely playing another year junior. We knew those three were coming in for sure. Um, so for us, it actually puts, put us in a good spot. And what, I, I don't know if everybody knows this, but it's not just the seniors that get the extra year of eligibility. It's the entire team. Um, so, you know, guys that are great players that, Hey, maybe they're a little bit smaller and they might not be in a rush to the NHL, but you look at, you know, VD and Yami and, and Okabe and brand, just to name a few, uh, Micah Miller and Nolan Walker, is he ready or not after next year for pro? If he's ready, great. If not, he, he can have another year to develop. I mean, it's for us. Um, it's turned out to be a, a little bit of a blessing in disguise because number one, we really love our guys. And number two, it gives them time to develop. It gives our recruits time to develop before they come in. And uh, just in our particular situation, and I know every school is a little bit different, um, I think it's been a benefit for us. And then to follow up on that quick, Brett, you know, when you make a national championship bid and, you know, despite maybe the optics and the score, but I mean, I can only imagine that this helps your recruiting too and bringing some more of those young guns in for future years to come. Absolutely. And I, I think the biggest thing, the, the thing that we're most proud of is when we talk to these recruits is they love how we play. Uh, and they love that this team seems to be really tight and, and, and play for each other. And I, I think people could see that throughout the year on TV. And that's that's the type of culture and the type of group recruits want to be a part of. So absolutely, this helps with recruiting. Our, our phone's been, you know, rain off the hook and, and it's been it's been really fun that way. And, uh, you know, that's 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 what you want. You want to build a program where kids are are wanting to come here and, and they see how you play and they see how you treat people and they want to be a part of it. I was talking with my dad, Brett, the other day, and uh, he was talking about uh, specifically what you're saying is that the ramifications of uh, the COVID and the eligibility requirements are going to be felt for probably the next four years or so. Um, how weird is it, uh, I guess, since you're in such a great position as a program to kind of almost, quote unquote, sit on the sidelines and watch the free agency of college with the transfer portal? Is that something unique that maybe we'll never see again? Yeah, it'll be interesting how many years it takes for that kind of, like you said, is a four-year process where that all just kind of settles down and it's not such a big deal this year. I think you had a little bit of a tidal wave of things happening. You had the extra year of eligibility for the seniors as the same time as the transfer portal really got going and, and the new rule with the one-time transfer uh, came in at the same time. So you saw this huge avalanche of, of guys in the, in the portal. I think every year that'll become a little bit less and less and a little bit more normalized once we get through this wave of the four years of guys that got extra eligibility. But um, it, it's an odd thing right now, to be honest. Um, we're all trying to figure it out. I'm not a huge fan of the one-time transfer rule. Now their guys can transfer without any penalty. I just, I just worry that for some players that, you know, the grass is always greener somewhere else. Uh, maybe a, a smaller tier school per se gets a good re recruit, develops them for a year. And then the, some of the big schools are, are in there trying to steal them and things like that. And that's, that's, you know, uh, uh, that's worrisome for sure. Um, now in a case where, you know, it's just not the right fit for a kid and, Maybe a coach gets let go or there's different things out of the kids control. There are some positives too, but right now um, I just worry that the, you know, um, you know, the greener pastures thing, um, some people maybe with not good at some good ethics out there behind the scenes could be trying to manipulate that a little bit. Uh, that worries me a bit. So we'll see, hopefully it all shakes out and becomes 
uh, you know, just part of the, I don't know, part of the landscape. We get used to it and it settles down here soon. Uh, Brett, what's, oh, I suppose, you know, go forward a little bit. Uh, you know, it's hard to put uh, what a successful season this was behind you, but uh, unfortunately, you got to look forward here as well. You're at a coaching conference here in Florida coming up uh, this, uh, I think tomorrow you said, right, you're heading yeah. out. And then uh, as we look forward to next year, something that we covered extensively on this show uh, last summer, we we had you on. We also had former coach uh, Bob Motzko. Then we also had now current CCHA commissioner, Don Lucia. And our question was, what could we do to amplify and bring more fans back uh, to the rinks? And one of the questions we had was, what about those old WCHA rivalries? What, you know, what would it take for that scheduling? And it sounds like from what you're telling us is that there may be some good news in that front with your exhibition schedule that is not official by any means, but it looks like it's kind of getting set in stone. Yeah, we're close. Uh, we, we, I think we'll have this thing locked in in the next week or so. Uh, and right now we're talking, you know, if this, if it works out right now in pencil and the way I got it drawn up on paper, we're, you know, we're playing St. Thomas and they're in their first ever division one college hockey game. We're playing home and home one down there and one up there, up here. We're, we got the Gophers back. We're playing one in, one in Minneapolis. Uh, the Gophers are coming into our rink for one. Uh, we got Bemidji again, home and home. One of Bemidji, one here. We've got two down in Mankato and we've got the Badgers, the Wisconsin Badgers coming back into the herb. And I don't have the all time schedule in front of me, but I, I think it's been a while since they've been in here. So, uh, looking at some old rivalries. Uh, I love playing all those teams. I mean, I think, I think this might be one of the best schedules ever. And, and uh, one thing it's going to be a tough schedule, but it's going to be one that uh, the fans are certainly uh, I think going to be excited about. And I, I wouldn't be shocked if that brings people back and this place is full. Yeah. And, oh, go ahead, Nick. Go ahead. I was just going to say, and, you know, I guess to follow up on that, we talked on this uh, pre-show too, is that, you know, there is an effort, it seems like, behind the scenes to make this exhibition schedule with those old rivalries that recurring yearly things. Is that correct? Well, I think some things, I think COVID might have helped us. You know, you always look for the silver lining with some things, right? And uh, obviously right now, um, budgets are a little bit tight. We just want a year of, of not having fans in the rink, which which for us is is a, a big-time income generator and, and, and pays the bills. Um, so the fact that we can bust all of these places, uh, the fact that three of the, the, uh, five are home and home, or we don't have to pay for a hotel, things like that. And that's not just us. It's all these teams. So I think it was something that, uh, all, all the teams in the area, uh, it, it, yes, it, re it rekindles the rivalries and two, it helps with our budgets in, in a year where we're going to need to try to get back on track financially. Speaking of finances, Brett, I know we're the most important thing on your schedule, not only today, but for the entire week. But uh, from what we hear, you have some fundraising opportunities coming up uh, later today, as well as a golf tournament that uh, you might have uh, just gotten the dates for. Yeah, uh, our alumni golf tournament will be July 30th out of the territories, and, and we're looking forward to that again. Had a great turnout last year. It's great to get guys back. And uh, I can't get into too many details of the fundraising effort right now, and, and maybe you guys could have me back again where I could talk about it more. But we are, are going to be starting a, a new fundraising program here this year because basically I think what, uh, you know, the – the hard side, or we talked about some of the silver linings of COVID, that some of the negatives are, you know, enrollment being down a little bit, of, of student fees being down from where they were, of a whole year of not having income coming in that we count on. And we're going to really be asking uh, the, the fans, the alumni, friends of the program uh, to make a fi financial commitment over the next five years to help us uh, rebuild that budget a little bit and make sure that we can uh, stay where we are and, and hopefully build from there. So uh, it's something that certainly, you know, 
uh, asking for money is, is never fun, but I think during these times with COVID and all the challenges challenges that we've hit, uh, people are really going to understand, and and uh, the people that are are have the ability, uh, I'm sure, are going to want to help out because uh, I know how important this program. If I learned anything this year, is how important this program is to a lot of people. Um, the texts, the emails, the videos from from people who were at a bar or a restaurant showing me how crazy it went when we were scoring goals in the stretch and whether it was from, you know, playing the, you look back on this thing, you look back at what I would say the hardest game of the year or one of the hardest games I've ever coached in was playing Colorado college in, 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 uh, in North Dakota um, because of how decimated they were and the psychological aspect of that game where everybody in the world thinking you should beat them 10 to one. Well, turns out they came to play and uh, it turns out that they brought everything they had and made it one of the toughest games of the year. And I, I actually think that was one of the biggest hurdles we had to get over uh, was finding a way to win a game that everybody thinks you should win. Those are sometimes the toughest. And, uh, and I was really proud of the guys through that. But anyway, uh, throughout that whole playoff run, the messages about how excited and, and what it did for this community and this university and, and the alumni, it was, it was awesome. And uh, uh, to see how important this program is to a lot of people, I know for me, just keeps giving me that energy to do everything I can to keep it going in the right direction. Speaking of that playoff run, Brett, and I kind of mentioned this as well, not a big deal. I thought that CC game was a big turning point as far as like you mentioned that mental adversity because playoff time is as often mental as it is physical in some cases. Um, I know you don't want to play favorites, but I'm kind of curious because Nolan Walker had a heck of a year. Uh, he had the amazing awkward flip pass over the net he had the the unbelievable redirect was there a specific goal or a specific play or kind of a sequence throughout the year that you kind of looked at that was either just so amazing or kind of maybe the pinnacle of what you thought was part of the buy-in of this program this year well maybe funny that that i say this but it was the cc game and it was the bench it was uh when they scored that first goal and uh which was an odd one a skipper from the red line that you know david would tell you hey 999 times out of a thousand he's gonna he's gonna get that one but it was one of those weird pucks that just found a way the in the past not in the past but what i was worried about was seeing the heads go down shoulders go down and, and a feeling of oh here we go um, you know, we, we haven't had a ton of success in the playoffs over the years and here we go again. And, and here's the bad, bad karma of, of St. Cloud state in the playoffs. Mike, the bench was positive. It was, it was confident. The heads were up. Uh, the leaders were leading, um, the, on the ice, we continued to play our game. I mean, we outshot 50, I, you know, the, the puck was in there and the entire time they, the, the guys, they really hung in there in a, what I thought was a tough mental moment. And to me, that gave me the confidence and the hope that we could go on a really big run because I thought they had really grown mentally. And some of this stuff, I mean, everybody asking me every day about AIC and Air Force and all these other games, you know, it, it certainly started to tick me off as we went through it. And, uh, and three, but I thought these guys hung in there in a really tough moment. And, you know, nobody probably gave us credit for getting over the hump that night. But it certainly gave me the confidence that this group was going to get over the hump. Uh, Brett, uh, I have just uh, one more question for you. And again, thank you for joining us here on this very early Tuesday morning. Um, you know, we talk about what a run like this has meant to the fans, what it's meant to the players, to the program. 
I want to know what this run as a third year coach here at St. Cloud, what has this season meant to you? What, what has, what have you taken away from this and just how, you know, what are the emotions of this season right now for you? Yeah, I'm starting to just reflect a little bit more. You get asked a lot of these big picture questions as you're going through it, but as you're going through it, you're not thinking big picture. You're, you're just thinking out, you know, how do I break out against UMass? You're thinking about the little, you know, you're, you're not really thinking about big picture stuff for me. Like I said, I think the, the thing that's made it mean the most to me uh, and I, and I, and I just love being here so much. I love being around these people, this team, the staff, this university uh, being in this town um, was the fact that we, I felt like we did something that in a tough time uh, really gave people a lot of excitement and it really kind of gave the community something to rally around. And I guess for me, just being part of that was really special. And, uh, and I hope we can keep doing it because uh, tell you what, when you get the taste of, of getting there um, I know for me personally, when I got the first taste, I wanted nothing but getting back there again. And, uh, and I'm hoping that's the same for our guys. And I know it's the same for our guys. They got the taste of how good that is and what that run is really like when you get there. And, uh, and I know they're going to want it again. And I know that we're going to have a motivated group this summer and going into the next fall. I've got two more questions for you, Brett. And like Nick said, thanks for joining us. My first question is kind of turning that on its head a little bit. Uh, you're a pretty candid guy. And, you know, right after the national tournament happened, you know, you were doing uh, like a podcast interviews, radio interviews, obviously not the most fun thing to talk about at the end with the result, but the journey is great to talk about for future coaches and players out there, especially guys who are developing, you know, mentally, um, what kind of keeps, what's kind of your focus in a game where you get to game number 31 of the season, unfortunately don't get the result and knowing that you've got to go in the next day and, and talk to people like us, you know, kind of what is the mentality of being able to mentally prepare for that? Because I don't think people understand that, geez, when I was a Bantam in high school, I was sad when the season ended, let alone a division one national championship. Yeah. You know, it's, you just go through a wave of emotions, to be honest. And we had an event that night in the hotel where we had the players' families and uh, some close friends of the program. And, you know, it started real somber. And as the event went on, um, it's funny how human nature works. You, uh, every day and every minute I've gotten away from that game, I felt better. I, I feel better about the season, right? The minute after you're crushed, the next minute you're still crushed. You, you have all these feelings about you got so close and you just couldn't get it done that night. Um, but then you start, Hey, just even talking about that Colorado college game, we just talked about, then you start thinking about all those things in the year that you had to get through, that you had to fight through the tough practice days, the days where guys were just like mentally just fatigued from only hanging out at their apartment or the rank, not being able to go out and celebrate a win in town on a Saturday night, not be able to, you know, hang out with other friends. Uh, you think about everything that they got through and then you realize, man, this is pretty special. And you start looking at that big picture thing of, of, you know, I, I told the guys, Hey, yeah, it didn't go our way, but, but you know, 59 other teams wish they could have been playing today. And, uh, and we got to the last day of the season. So every day you get away from it, the big picture starts settling a little bit more, you know, what can it, it can do for your program from a recruiting standpoint, you see what it did for the university, for the town, for, for the people that follow and, and how much that meant to them. And uh, you start getting that big, your picture feel of, man, this is pretty special. And finally you get the feel that, Hey, you know what? Our guys finally got a taste. They got a taste of what it's like to be in that game. And, uh, and that's going to bring a new hunger to this program, I think. And, and, and these guys are going to want to get back. 
Very fitting for you, Brett. My last question is a big picture question. Moving forward, and I know hockey season, it, it seems like a world away, but for you, I'm sure it never stops. Do you kind of have like a preliminary goal or kind of a preliminary game plan? Like what is the next step as you move forward and get ready into fall? Obviously you want to get back to that national championship game and win the last game of the season, but do you kind of have your first building block that's starting to take shape as far as what you want from this team come the first practice or first training or first get together in the fall? Well, there's just one first message that we've tried to hit with the guys. We've done all our individual meetings now. We've let a lot of the guys go home. They can finish school online. A lot of guys didn't see their family for a year. But what you you try to make sure that they understand is it wasn't an accident that we got to that game. Uh, we changed our tra summer training last summer. Uh, the guys were more committed than they'd have ever been to, to their off-ice training, to their nutrition, to their sleep. Uh, we pushed them harder in practice at times than we've ever pushed them. Um, they fought through a lot of adversity. So the biggest thing that you want to remind them of is because it feels like at the end, Hey, we just got here. Here we are. We're in the frozen four. Well, it didn't just happen. Um, they worked, they committed, they did what it took to get there. And it, it, after a, a short kind of reset here, you want them to realize that, that we got to go back to step one. We can't just show up next year. And we're going to end up in the frozen four. Um, so you want to make sure you get that mentality back that it was a building process and we got to start over again. Now we laid some blocks in the foundation that are great. They're going to help us start building again, but you need to get that message across to the guys. It's not just going to happen. We can't just go out and have a summer now and, and celebrate all summer. Uh, the successes of last season, uh, we talked about after April here, it's time to put the work boots back on and, and start building again. Brett, uh, certainly going to be fun to watch this program. I know it's been a fun ride, and we can't wait to see what this team can do uh, next season. Again, Brett Larson, thank you so much for joining us. We'll definitely be in touch with you with uh, some of those more details with those fundraising. We'll definitely have to have you back on again as we get closer to those dates. But uh, Yeah, I'd like to do that if you guys wouldn't mind because that's something we're going to get out here in the next <laughs> month or so, and I'd like to do that. Absolutely. I suppose we can make some time for you, you yeah. Brett. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, well, Brett, enjoy your time down in Florida uh, with the Coaches Conference, and uh, absolutely we'll be in touch. And, again, thank you again for joining us this afternoon. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Have a great summer. You too. Thanks, Brett.